gonna set a timer because otherwise I will speak for 45 minutes. And uh, I know you'd be like, you'd love that, wouldn't you? That'd make you weak. Uh, but not tonight. So soz. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Matt, and uh, I'm one of the priests here. Uh, genuinely, if we haven't met yet, why don't you go have coffee? Drop me a line. My email is just Matt at Matt's Exeter. I'd love to meet you this week. Have coffee. Uh, we are a family church, and uh, we we love doing business as family. And um, our little mission statement is really clear. Our vision is to love Jesus and transform this city. And we're concluding uh, this Exeter series looking at presence. And um, this is, I think, the defining quality of Moses, that he didn't do anything without the presence of God. He didn't, you know, didn't walk a single millimeter without the presence of God leading him, guiding him. And uh, that is what we're going to dive into today. And so if you've got a Bible, can I encourage you to turn to um, Exodus 33. Um, if you uh, have one, it would be wonderful for you to turn there. Um, or if you've got a device, um, just Google it uh, or um, find your Bible app. But scribble this down, if you're taking notes, um, Exodus 33 and go there so you know that I'm not lying to you. It's always good to know that you know, it's not being made up, isn't it? So this is Exodus 33, uh, verses 7 to 11 and then 14 to 18. It says this, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went inside the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Then a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. While the Lord spoke with Moses, whatever the people, whenever people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of, their, of the tent, they also stood at the, and worshipped at the entrance of their tent. Then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one would speak to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Jump down to verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Key verse. Then Moses said, uh, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. Do not send us. Here, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me? And how will anyone know you're pleased with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your, your glory. I don't know about you, but I sometimes find it hard to relate to Moses in this moment. I find it hard to, to know the presence of God. Like, it's really easy, isn't it? Like, next week, this week coming, we're going to be at Focus. And it's going to be incredible. We're going to have, like, 7,000 people worshipping in this big tent. It's going to be phenomenal. You know, great teaching, great worship. You know, world-class people leading us uh, into the presence of Jesus. It's going to be phenomenal. Um, you know, or, like, uh, if you've been at Soul Survivor, you know, like, you would expect, probably experience the presence of God. Yeah, when we're sat here, yeah, we experience the presence of God. Um, but I don't know about you, when you're sat at home uh, early in the morning, kind of blinking because the sunlight's bright and drinking coffee and a cheap Ikea chair, which is a bit uncomfortable, and you're staring at the words of the page of the Bible and you're thinking like, Lord, what does this all mean? It's, it's hard, isn't it? So many of uh, my friends, I call you guys friends, you know, I'm a vicar, yes, but uh, we do family together, we, we do friendship together. So many of my friends say like, Matt, I'm ready to give up. And I say, okay, t tell me, like, what's, what's going on? And so, so rarely is it the big moral issues. So rarely is it the kind of the questions of suffering. So rarely is it the questions of, like, big theological kind of, like, questions. But more often than not, people say, I just don't feel the presence of God anymore. 
Like, when I first became a Christian, I felt the presence of God really clearly. You know, like six months ago at the carols, there was that moment that gave me goosebumps. Or, you know, like, I think it was just placebo when I, when I experienced the Holy Spirit. Like, of course, in a room full of these people, of course I'm going to experience the Holy Spirit. And uh, we had this conversation. And it goes on and on and on. And they, they end up saying, but how can we really trust that the presence of God is, is with us? All the time, every time. And uh, I want to refer to this verse with that question in mind. Exodus 33, 14 to 15 and 17. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us from here. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing I have said. I'll send my presence. I'll be with you. I want to work on a principle tonight that if God changes, he is no longer God. Like if God stops doing the things that only God can do, he is no longer God. If God changes, if he changes his character, his mind, his behavior, the way he responds, he is no longer God. God has to be consistent to be, to be God. I don't know how you feel about generosity, but God is never tired of being generous. I don't know how you feel. I often tire of being generous. If you've got kids, you'll know what I mean. Like, kids, you give and you give and you give. If you're a teacher, you'll know what it means. Like, you give and you give and you give, and uh, you, you give your best to the kids, but they, they never give back. It's tiring. Being a parent, being an auntie, being, you know, a, a parent or, or a guardian or a teacher, it's tiring. Why? Because you give more than you get. I, I don't know if you've got friends that you go to dinner with, and, um, you know, like, the first time you went for dinner, they sort of said, like, oh, that, you know, that wasn't my glass of wine on the bill. And you figure, like, you're like, it's fine, you know, like, I'll, I'll just pick up the tab, it's fine. It's just one glass of wine. Have you got friends like this? Second time, they kind of argue, and they're like, you guys had two glasses of wine, and we only had tap water. Don't look at these people, they're in the room, it's rude. Uh, you know, like, I don't know if you're like that, and you're like, and they're like, so, so we're going to pay 20 quid less. And you're like, oh, fine, it's just like two glasses of wine, but that's fine. Cool, we'll pay it. Third time around, they, like, walk out before the bill even comes, and they, you know, go back to their cars, and you're like, we're never going for dinner ever again. If you've got friends like that, like, I love being generous, but it is taxing, and it is it's tiring. Have you got someone in your workplace or in your office or in your school that, or in your, in your family that, um, let's call him Toxic Tommy, who, you know, like, you know, you wake up, you wake up every morning and you think, like, oh, I'm going to be a great human being to Tommy. Like, uh, you know, like, today he is going to feel loved. Today he's going to feel cared for. And, you, you know, like, you wake up and then before you've even started your work, you know, like, he's moaning at you, whether it be via Zoom or, like, Messenger or, you know, like, he's whinging that he had to, like, walk the other side of town because the car park was full. You know, you're like, at least you got a car, you know. And, and then, you know, like, by 11 o'clock, you're, like, you're getting a bit bored of him and you sort of decide to make a cup of tea and you kind of walk back and he's just whinging about your favorite colleague or your favorite person or, you're like, he's whining. And then you get, to, you get to midday and he's just, like, grumpy about everything. Nothing is going his way that day. And then, you know, by lunchtime, you go out for coffee just so you get out of the office. He didn't want a coffee, but you were out just to get coffee. And then, you know, like, you get back and he's whinging that his favourite sandwich was gone. And you're like, at least you can afford a sandwich. I had to go bring packed lunch. You know, like, and then by, like, 2 o'clock, like, you're in meetings and he's like, not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen. Can't do, can't do, can't do, can't do, can't do. And then by 4 o'clock, you want to rip his head off. Are you in that? Have you got people in your organisation like that? <laughs> uh, well, it's funny you say that, Ed Hodges, because... <laughs> Uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because, because, because that toxic huma humanity, that toxic humanity is what we bring to God. 
But he never treats us like that. The toxic Christianity that we bring is nothing compared to the life that he brings. Yet what he does is he is unrelenting in his boundless love, in his boundless forgiveness, in his boundless joy, in his boundless favor, in his boundless goodness towards us. You know, his desire for our lives is not to make it harder or more regulated or, or to make it more difficult, but to make it more free, more beautiful, to make it more whole, to, to take us on this adventure of, of faith, to enhance the good gifts that he's given you, to bring you a life that brings joy deep down. I was on this train, a long, slow, sweaty train in a heat wave this week. It was miserable. They decided to go half speed because why not? We spent half air con because why not? And so it was like 40 degrees outside and we were sat in this train. And, and I, I kind of got on the train and there was, these, um, there was this couple. I think they were a couple. They were, they were cousins, couple. I don't know. It was a bit confusing. The relationship was just a bit interesting. I wasn't quite sure, you know. And um, got on the train and, and they started chatting. And they, um, you know, this, this woman was quite like um, forthcoming about telling about her life. You know, I sat down and she said, oh, like, nice to meet you. And then she told me, like, just, just. And I didn't invite it, but she spent an hour just telling me all about her life. And like just on and on and on. And ex-boyfriends this and ex-boyfriends that. And then she told me that she was a sexual health nurse. And she took like, quite graphic detail about things that were both, you know, revolting and really intriguing. And, you know, in equal measure. And, you know, like, but on and on and on and on. And then they started talking about their lives. And I was just like, um, and anyway, about, literally about an hour in, the, the bloke said to, um, said to her, like, Mate, you haven't even asked this guy's name. Like, ask him some questions. And she said, she said I can't remember her name. She introduced herself. She said, hi, I'm so-and-so. Who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Matt. She said, oh, what do you do, Matt? And I said, I'm a priest. And she looked at me, and she was like, no. And I said, no, 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 I'm a priest in the Church of England. And she was like, yeah, good story. Like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you really do? And I was like, oh, no, I actually am a priest. And she was like, no. And we just went around for a little bit, and I was like, okay, well, like, what evidence do you want? She's like, if you're a priest, show me your Instagram. And I was like, okay, well, here's my Instagram. You know, like, big deal. And she's like, oh, you are a priest. And then we had this conversation. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I, I, when I told her that I was a Christian and a priest, she then started apologizing for everything she'd said. Have you been in that situation? And she's like, oh, oh, you must find this really uncomfortable. Like, re I was like, no more than any other human being when you talk about, like, you know, like diseases that you don't want to talk about. I think every human being finds that uncomfortable. And, you know, like, we went down this, like, and she was like, and then basically we got talking. And, you know, like, when you suddenly say to people, someone like, I'm a Christian, they have a moment and they're like, you, you see them stop and there's that, there's that burning thing that they want to ask, but they're, they're British and so they don't want to. And so I, I was like, come on, like, we start talking, things are bubbling away. I was like, yeah, I was like, what, what were you going to ask me when I told you I was a priest? And she's like, no, no, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. And I was like, no, 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 no I'm going to pressure you on this. Like, what were you going to ask me? And, um, you know, this moment on the train where uh, it's perfect silence and everyone is listening into your conversation. Have you been there? And so it is perfect silence. And she's just, she's just like, she's just getting worked up and a little bit kind of like, she just said, you know, quite loud. She's like, but, but I just don't get it. She said like, you're happy, you seem to love your church, you seem to love your team, you've got great friends, you've got a great family. She said, I just can't understand how you do it. And I was like, do what? And she's like, I just can't understand how that life is compatible with, with the rules. And I was like, oh, that's, I, I kind of smiled at her quite cheekily and said like, 
what rules? And she said, you know, like, the, the rules. And she was getting a bit annoyed at me. I was like, no, but uh, tell me, like, what rules? She just, like, everyone's listening at this point. She's like, just, just, just shut the video. Just, all of them. Have you been there? And I just smiled at her sincerely and said, I just, I think we've misunderstood each other. Like, the faith that I have in Jesus is, gives me more beautiful, abundant life. The faith that I have in Jesus equips me to know the most beautiful creator on a day-by-day basis. The, the life that I have in Jesus means that my, my soul is restored and, a, and renewed and, and made new. The life that I have with Jesus is far more beautiful, far more adventurous than I could ever dream or imagine. The life I have with Jesus is the most beautiful life that I wouldn't trade for the universe. And she sort of politely told me that I was out of touch with reality and, you know, and that I was wrong. And um, I just was reminded that that's what the devil does. Time and time and time again, he'll say, your understanding of reality is wrong. Like, actually, you didn't really experience the Holy Spirit. That was placebo. You didn't really, you didn't really kind of understand, uh, you know, what God is like. Because how can you? Because he's up there and you're down here. Like, you didn't really encounter, like, the presence of Jesus. He didn't really go ahead of you. He's not really with you. That was from Moses and, and his time. But it, it's not really for you. Like here are you to think you can carry around the presence of Jesus in your pocket. And these questions roll on and on and on and on. And therefore, what I want to suggest today is that we need a, a time every day where we get into the presence of Jesus, where our heart and our soul is restored and renewed, where his abundant life for us is made super clear. The Bible says this, it says, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's fascinating, isn't it? The, the thing that, you know, people do with their right hand in these terms is significant. You, 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 you kind of, you do an oath with your right hand. You draw a sword often in battle with your right hand. If you're sensible, you, you sign documents with your right hand. What he does with his sincere hand, with his vow-taking hand, with the thing that matters most is, is what he brings pleasures forevermore. In his presence is the, is the fullness of joy. See, I don't want to go a moment without the presence of God because I want more joy in my life. I want more clarity as to my cooling in life. I want to receive more life in weary bones. I want the adventurous spirit of God to be breathed into me like never before. I want the presence of God more than I've ever wanted it before. And, and God is so committed to showing us this presence that he hasn't just left us and him to sort of exist co, sort of side by side. He hasn't sort of made him up here and us down here to us to kind of like coexist in some sort of different worlds. But God is so intent in showing humanity that he wants to be present with us that he would become part of creation. Think about it. Jesus becomes human to demonstrate his relationship to us, that we are his God and he is, yeah, he is our God and we are his people. There's a word for that, it's called, it's called a covenantal relationship. And we see this, don't we, with the way that Jesus moves and acts. As God becomes part of creation, as he becomes man, we see the fullness of the character of God at work. The way that he loves, the way that he brings life, the way that he, he finds people who, who, who feel like they are a write-off and he, he says not today. Think about the woman at the well. There's the story about this woman who, 
is, is, is shunned by her community because of the way she's been living and the fact she's had five partners and she's had you know, kids with them and none of them in her husband. And she is in an ultra-conservative world. She is pushed out into the margins and she's collecting water in the middle of the day to avoid the evil stares and the, the muttering from the people around her. And this is where Jesus meets her in this disgraceful place, in this place that she shouldn't be in. And yet Jesus doesn't give her a, a reprimand or, or, or wrap around the knuckles. What does Jesus do? He, he commissions her. The work of God is to be present with humanity. We see the heart of God in Jesus. So what does this mean? Because that was 2,000 years ago. How does that work for us now? See, I want to say the presence of God does two things. The first thing it does is it, it builds friendship. It says this in Exodus 33. The Lord will speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. There's something that we all need to know, which is that the presence of God brings us further into his goodness. Why? Because he wants a more full relationship with us. And that should change our very core. It should breathe life into our bones. And when the storms come, it should lead us to a place where the first thing we cry out is, Jesus, I need you. And when the good times roll on, the first thing we cry out is, Jesus, thank you for being good. That's the kind of relationship he wants. And the purpose and the reason that Jesus entwines himself so much with creation in an inseparable way. You think that in heaven, Jesus is still human. He hasn't like done his earthly bit and his human bit and he's now kind of like gone and, you know, in this like, you know, extraterrestrial kind of body. No, no. In heaven, Jesus is still human. Why? Because he wants to show us that there is perfect peace between humanity and God. He wants to show us of what's coming, what will be in his presence. The reason there is freedom in his presence is because all our guilt and our shame and our wrongness is dealt with. And therefore we can have a euphoric moment of heaven, knowing that we have a beautiful God who adores you and is for you and will bind up your wounds. And then the second thing is the prophetic. It says this, and whenever Moses met, um, at the tent, all the people rose and they stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And Moses went into that tent and the pillar of cloud went down and stayed at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Imagine if you prayed and every day when you prayed, a pillar of cloud would come down. You'd like physically notice the presence of Jesus, physically notice the presence of God because there would be this massive cloud outside your door or your window. It'd be awesome, wouldn't it? People notice when the prophetic happens. And you know what? They want it. They want to see it for themselves. The presence of God on earth is in part relational, but it's in part showing us what will be. It's showing us what we're entering into. It's showing us the kingdom of heaven. It's doing the stuff that Jesus did, raising the dead, healing the sick, ministering to people's needs, to loving people, to, to pastoring people, to provide physical signs of his desire to bless. Because you know why he heals broken bones and bodies? Because that's what will happen in heaven. You know why he, was, he, 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 um, he heals cancer? It's because in, de in, in heaven there will be no more death. There'll be no more disease, there'll be no more darkness. You know why he provides peace? It's because in heaven, that's the place where we'll have the, the perfect peace of God surrounding us. You know why he provides coffee? Because he loves you. The presence of God provides the nutrients for your soul that you need to keep on going. And when they're running low, 
I sincerely believe he acts. I'm convinced that God wants a friendship. And he always wants to act in power. But he doesn't want to act in power just in its own right. He wants to do it in relationship with us. And our state of relationship and seeing the miraculous will lead us to do one thing. And that's rest in him. I think the primary call of the Christian is to, is to rest in God. And I think there's a reason why you guys are sent into the most hostile environments for your faith. The places that would often make you spiritually sick, but make you spiritually alive. It's because you see the presence of God. You see it go ahead of you into those spaces. You see conversations open up. You see bosses change. You see relationships restored. You see teenagers suddenly change their act. You see the movement of God time and time and time again. And you realize, I'm not here alone. I thought it was me that's entering this space, but God has gone ahead of me. Now, Jesus' last statement to his disciples was this. Peace be with you. As the Father is sending me, I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We are sent with the presence of God, like Moses was sent with the presence of God, meaning that we can take the dangerous, difficult route of faith and not just survive, but really thrive. We can find the kingdom of God where we find ourselves, not in barren lands, but in the spaces that we inhabit, meaning that we can do life without needing the same safety levels that we used to, to have mean that we can find our soul's rest by leaning deeper into the presence of Jesus. As we spend time regularly pressing in, we become spiritually alive. Meaning that those places that used to make us sick bring a thrill, bring an enjoyment, bring a, an, an environment for faith to be born in. I mean that those environments are a space where Jesus is proclaimed, where life suddenly erupts, and where it used to bring spiritual darkness, it now brings spiritual life. Remember what I said at the beginning, God can't change, otherwise he would no longer be God. His promise in all times, all places, is that he would be present. That's his promise. Not just for Moses, but for you and I, that he would be present with us. You know, I don't think it was easy for Moses in life. But I think Moses can do what he did because the presence of God went ahead of him. You know, do you think he could stand next to, next to Pharaoh in his palace and say, you know, God has told me you've got to set his people free without, without the presence of God? Absolutely not. He knew the presence of God was going before him. Do you think Moses could say to a starving nation, hey, you know what, there's no signs of any, any life here, but but you wake up tomorrow and he'll provide bread for you to eat. They go to bed hungry. No, 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 no. He could only do that because he saw the presence of God going ahead of him. You know, do you think he could stand and see a rock and say, this is going to be a waterfall, and then hit it with his staff and see water erupt out of it? No, he can only do that because he sees the presence of God going ahead. Think about him running away from the Israelites out of Egypt, running down the bank, and they meet the waters of the Nile, the Sea of Reeds. And, you know, the only way that he sticks his staff in and he sees that great miracle happen is because he is confident that there is an army advancing and the presence of God has gone ahead of him. I'm convinced that the presence of God wants to go ahead of you in times and spaces this week, this month, this year. 
I'm convinced that he has deliberately, purposefully placed you in the place that you are in. Not that you would sink, but you would become spiritually alive when you see the presence of God advancing and going beyond. Now, I want to ask you today, uh, where do you need to put your, your staff in the ground and say, I am not going a single meter without seeing the presence of God advance in that place? Well, what do you need to do today to say, God, I trust you. I trust that you've been before. I trust that you're going ahead of me. I'm not leaving those doors until I see you at move in this area. What do you need to do today to say, God, I, I don't even know whether I fully trust you yet, but I want in on your kingdom. You did it for Moses. You did it for Jesus. You did it for the early church. I want to see that. You know, I think we live in these days because God is doing something beautiful and wonderful. I don't think you are here by mistake. I think you are here deliberately, purposefully. I think you are here to, to breathe life in this city. But here's where I come into to land. I think the only way that will happen, the only way that we will love God and transform this city is by resting deep in his presence. By saying the only way we're going to advance, the only way we're going to be spiritually fit, the only way we're going to be, you know, have our faith intact this time next year is by saying, God, I need you right now. And allowing his relationship to be restored and deeply embedded in our hearts. And as we sit with those warm cups of coffee on cold mornings as we enter into the autumn, you know, our summer's over, I'm so sorry. But as we enter into the, you know, like we've had our heat, that's it, gone. You know, as you enter into this would-be summer and you sit there and you say, Lord, I need you. And you sit and you just wait on him and say, come, Holy Spirit. And you see him transform your weary bones and give you new dreams and advance you into places that you ever dreamed about. That's what we're called to do. But we're also called to see the miraculous happen. You know, I don't think that Jesus just sends us into this city just to be nice human beings. You know, I think he sends us in the city to do more than just an NGO, like, you know, like feed some people and provide some nice events and look real flash. I, I think he sends us into this city so that we can change it in the presence of Jesus. I think he's going in, in front of us and saying, I, I'm in your office, I'm in your school, I'm in your family, I'm involved in your life so deeply, and I'm in it to change the city. And so can I suggest, I'm way over time, can I suggest today, that we make a statement, we make a moment and say, Lord, I don't want to move a single mile, a single meter without sensing your presence. I don't want to, leave, I don't want to move a minute longer without saying over to you, I trust you. I don't want to move from these seats without saying, God, I put a way marker in the ground and say, it's all about you. And so can I challenge you tonight to do that? We're going to stand. And uh, if you're able, would you stand with me? And we're going, to, we're going to worship. But Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've already teed up incredible stories that we're going to tell our grandkids about what you're doing in this city. Thank you that you've gone ahead of us in our lives. And you know the operations, you know the messiness of our lives, you know the hecticness of our schedules, you know the immaturity of our bosses. You know what it's like to teach the kids that we teach. You know what it's like to, to work in the environments that we're in. 
but we trust you've gone, you've gone before. And so, Lord Jesus, we, we give you it all. And Lord, right now, we, we put a spiritual way marker in the ground. And we say, may that temptation be gone in the name of Jesus. May that fear be gone in the name of Jesus. May that doubt be gone in the name of Jesus. So let's wait on that.